0: subject, uh, recognizing God's unmerited supernatural favor, and uh, I'm going to be speaking of 2 Kings and some other passages, but the thing is, uh, it's really remarkable, It's, and I've noticed this from the first time that I set Steph overseas, the increase in the miracles, the increase in manifestations of power and grace, right? And... Um, I think it has to do with God's grace for the absolute brokenest people around, right? So if you happen to be in that category today, God has you in his sights. But also, I don't think it has to be just that. I think that what desperation does is it drives us to a certain faith in God, a certain throwing ourselves on God that we really don't have when we have options, right? So most of these people don't have access to hardly any uh, medical care and God's grace is sufficient. And uh, I just think that uh, it's so important that when God's doing something like this, that we recognize it, that we're aware of it, that we're not just going, oh, I guess that just happens out there. Because I just can't imagine a, a, a dad, you know, uh, having some of his kids experience all this grace. You know, let's think about it at Christmas time. You, you always hear me talk about this, but maybe there's five kids and three of them are having an absolute blast getting healed. And, touched and everything, and then there's the other two, and we just sort of leave those out, right? So it's not that God leaves us out, it's just something on the inside of us needs to switch and change a little bit. And uh, so I'm going to try to hit at some of that today. Uh, it's it's uh, evident, it has all to do with our receptivity, our faith, also maybe even a little bit our desperation. And the difference between us and maybe most of us in this room and most of who were out there. Uh, that we minister to is uh, many of them are so poor they don't really have any options. They don't have any doctor to go to. They don't have the money for it. They don't even know what they have half the time. And uh, and um, I think that it's hard for us in our culture because so much swims around us that's so well. You know, I mean, all the nice cars and everything. When you get immersed in another culture, it's not hard for you to see the brokenness, right? Here it's harder to see the brokenness, but exists everywhere, all over the place. Right? It's harder to see it because we're all jumping around in our cars and life is so segmented. We're in our little car and then we go to another Well, It's a whole series of compartments. right? You go get in your compartment, you drive to your compartment, come back to your compartment, go to church as a compartment. right? In much of the world, it's not like that. It's like life is just flowing everywhere. First of all, there's not as many compartments. Second of all, if you have a compartment, it, the windows are always open, the doors are open, you can hear everything your neighbor is doing. I remember I was... Kind of my experience when I got to Hawaii, and we lived in one of these neighborhoods, and I mean, it was just like single wooden walls, and man, you could hear everything going. When Janice had her baby, had uh, David there, it was crazy. She would have his baby at home, and it, you could hear it for three blocks. And you're screaming and yelling. I mean, it's just you know. <laughs> and everything here, though, is is private. It's it's compartmentalized. It's you know, you know what I'm saying. Life there is, just spills out, but it also spills out in its brokenness, in its pain. You see, and um, and that's so fertile ground. and It's always been that way for the gospel. Anybody that would go out and pray and preach in one of those environments because these people are wide open, right, in a way that doesn't exist here. So for all of our pleasure and also for all of our ability to go and do something about it, when we get sick, the first thing we think about is which kind of doctor we need, right? And then we go to it and And I'm grateful for doctors, I am. But there's something in that that has left us a little less dependent on supernatural favor. Sort of a desperation on favor, you know, on the favor of the Lord, I think creates a different kind of environment. And so uh, I want to talk a little bit around this subject. I don't know how I'm going to do today, but uh, I just want to just read this story, all right? And It reminds me of some of this activity, and I wanted to do this for years with her, and I just wanted you to know... Uh, that um, I, I, we have seen a, a, a most unusual activity by you know we, we don't have to feed people all these years three days a week and all the other things that we do for them uh, the homeless the broken we we don't we don't have to you know we get to you don't have to you get to turns out that God lives there. Do you want to know God's address? Just go where broken people. Pray for broken people. Spend time with them. That's where he lives. I mean, he lives with us when we're unbroken as well. And that's why it's going to be so important for the future for us to understand. Um, one of the biggest reasons why we don't do well, for example, with mental illness is because we don't want to deal with it. So those that are mentally ill and having trouble, we don't want to deal with it. Most churches don't want to deal with it. They want to just, again, compartmentalize it and put it into the psychiatrist's office and hope that there's some medication out there that will fix the brain imbalance or whatever. But people aren't just meds, they're also behavioral. They need love. So you could give them all the drugs in the world, but they also need lots of affection. And I'm not sure what heals more, affection or the drugs. Now, drugs don't ever heal for mental illness, by the way. They just kind of tame fires, right, a little bit. And so we have this uh, horrible fire called mental illness. It's a very real thing. By the way, in case you were wondering, I know 100% for sure because of my own experience with this over and over and over again. It's very physiological, but also is emotional and mental, right? But The physiological component, nobody really has seemed to be able to get a hold of that part. But even without the physiological, the pills and all, it's amazing how much progress a person can make if you love them and they're in an atmosphere where they can be loved and, and uh and, uh, and matter of fact, I believe it's going to be a combination of maybe some medicine, but probably even beyond that, lots of care, lots of personal care. This homeless crisis will never, never be solved until we come to the grips with the fact that we're going to have to get right in the middle of it and welcome these people into homes, welcome these people into housing situations, welcome these people and love them. That's the only way it's going to do it. One piece of it would be we give you a home or give you enough to eat, so on. The other part of it is nothing can replace affection, nothing can replace love, and nothing can replace God, right? So we're a part of this. We don't know it because we don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. That's what I feel like. I don't know what to do because it's such an inexplicable troubled problem. No matter how much money we throw at it, we we just don't seem to get to the bottom of it because part of it's biological and nobody's invented something to heal that part, but even the other part of it is psychological. And then between the two, it requires tremendous amounts of love and affection and care. And I would say prayer as well, right? So the church is a little confused about this. The world's confused about it. So we're building all kinds of things, trying structures, and this one has that idea. This one has that idea, right? But what we need is God's unmerited supernatural favor. We have to learn how to flow with that. And I think God will increasingly give us the keys but first of all we have to sort of live with the problem and see it up close enough to actually know what the variables that we're dealing with. A lot of people don't have to deal with severe poverty or severe homelessness. We've organized our entire society so that we don't have to do that, right, hopefully. But then we see our inner cities caving in and the same problems that are in the inner cities are finding their way into every nook and cranny of all of California right now and all of the world, right? So we're just going to have to learn how to have God help us and how God give the answer to this. because I think there's some actual beauty in the whole situation in terms of of uh, people getting saved and delivered and grace of God on our culture. And um, not all is bad in our broken culture. Not as all is bad with regard to what you see going on because the weakness is also driving people to God because in the end when you exhaust all your money and all your resources and every doctor you can think of in the end it's the lowly church they will have the answer. But we also need to understand that, that we're not so lowly, that actually we live in a high and lofty place that we have an anointing on us. We just have to really believe that we could actually heal even the brokenhearted, right? So I want to, there's a story that I um, was thinking about. Uh, it's uh, one of my favorites. Uh, it's this man named Naaman. So I want to just start with 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out, had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Wouldn't that be something? If we saw that same situation where we have a family that doesn't know the Lord, maybe there's someone that's selling, and maybe there's someone around. You know, if only you would go to that church down the street, I think that could help you. I think that if you would only just go over there, I I think there might be help. You've tried everything, but I I think you know. I remember how I was there one day and da 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 da. da right? Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel said. By all means, go. The king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman, so he makes this a big political state issue because these guys were fighting. They, you know, they just, they had, uh, they were restless. It was a very restless border, you know. And sometimes there was full-scale war, right? And they hated each other. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. He thought that would be the price he'd pay. Whoever has this ability, get healed, and we'll come back, be fine. So I mean, he's taking it very literally. <clears throat> so funny. Because in our culture, one of our biggest problems with the supernatural is we don't have a supernatural worldview. Our culture is, and many of you have been through my classes, I teach you on this, we have a secular worldview, much of the Western world does. So the way we see life and basic suppositions of life and why things are they are, we have a way of, of taking a very scientific worldview. Although the interesting thing about it is our worldview as a nation is becoming more and more bizarre, more and more supernatural, more and more... Hysterical, more normal, opposite of what we thought was normal, but beware because some of the brokenness and the things that we're seeing may just take us right into the arms of a supernatural God. Because having a, a, a secular worldview is just as bad as uh, what we would view as, as some of the people that are, you know, moving into other weird, you know, religious sects and things. A supernatural worldview uh, is got to include a powerful God, right? And if you organize him out, and our culture does it selectively all the time, then we have a problem. We have it in the church as well, right? Many of the people we see are, uh, in here are from different countries and places where we don't—they didn't come from a secular worldview. Even the Iranians that come, many of them have a supernatural worldview, so they love us to pray for them. They're fine with it. Even They don't mind if we pray for them even though they might even worship and be in another religion, right? It's the strangest thing. They're more open to prayer than many uh, people that we pray in our own church because they're desperate and they're wondering what will work and they don't really have that deep a commitment to that other thing anyway, right? So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. <laughs> The letter they took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now, what is amazing to me is how much faith these people had, right? I mean, I mean, he's saying with a straight face. This is one king writing to another king, Hey, I heard you got a guy over there. They didn't have any problem believing that there could be a guy there that could take care of such things. And they relied on demon power all the time anyway, and sometimes those demons would do really cool stuff, right? and then hold them in bondage for the next 200 years over some miracle they did to some person, right? Then never have another miracle but have these people in bondage because of what happened 200 years before, you know, this sort of thing. We see that all over the world, by the way. These things that we see in practices, pagan practices, came from a miracle that happened somewhere from demonic power and then was told down through the generations and made into a teaching or made into... See what I'm saying? As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said am I God (laughs) can I kill and bring back to life why does this fellow send someone uh, to be cured of his leprosy see how he's trying to pick a quarrel so he's thinking this guy doesn't really believe he's going to pick a fight with me he's just trying to pick a fight with me so as soon as I don't deliver the healing he's going to come over and invade again and actually at that time he was stronger than Israel so they would do that routinely he just needed an excuse so he thinks they're just making an excuse When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he'll know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Arbana and Farfar, I guess that's the way he said it, Farpar, sorry, Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more, then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed. So he went down, you know, he didn't want to do it, but he he dips himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. By the way, this is why we do what we do, so that people will know that there is no God in the world except the Lord God. This is why we pray for the like, sick. This is why we constantly push in this area. We're not doing it to be the supernatural church, or that's our angle, our way. This is this is why. Because people are looking for the supernatural God, something real, something that really does the job, something that really heals mentally, emotionally, physically. Much of what we have set up here in our church, mentally, emotionally, physically, and with regard to the, the weak and the fleeting, we're just like one big healing center. We're constantly doing things. We have prayer rooms. I was also proud we moved our healing rooms over where we actually pray for people every Wednesday. And for a couple of hours, people that come, they have a more in-depth appointment, and we just pray for them, right? We have all kinds of things you'll find in our structure, and it's all geared toward making way for the supernatural God, right? Now, I know there's no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, "As Surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Remen to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I have to bow, bow there also. When I bow down the temple of Remen, may the Lord forgive your servant for this because he knows there's nothing, no power in Rehman, but there's power here, right? Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As sure as the Lord lives, I'll run after him and get something from him. And I'll stop right there, because I'm going to go on with that text in a minute. So this guy thinks, Man, this guy got off too easy. I'm going to get some money here, right? So we'll get back to that story in a minute if we can. All right. So here's the thing. If you look on your outline, God provides for us by an exchange of our weakness for his strength. Now we see this all over the Bible. Like for example, James 4, 5 to 6. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the heartiest cause of wellness, but he gives us more grace? That's why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. This is one reason why I think that we see these massive moves of God in other countries when we go there and God doing these things. I'll never forget story after story in my brain. You know, I'm just thinking of, I think I told this even last week, but I've just been thinking about it a lot how a blind gay came, come, came up to me in the crowd. He, he couldn't see his way. He didn't have anybody. They kept pointing him to the fence where we were all standing because there were so many of them. We had to have a fence between us and them or we would to get killed he got up there, you know, and I could see him trying to get there, you know, finally they pointed him the right direction, he got there, and he stood there, and I prayed for him he, he opened his eyes, looked around, walked right back out without any help, that was it and I thought, what? my first thought was, he hadn't been blind in the first place, he really wasn't blind but then I followed up on it the guy was really blind, he got healed thank you very much for your healing, We appreciate it, see ya because interesting thing is, for us, we freak out over these things. But these people are so steeped in demonic things and supernatural things, they think, well, I just, hey, I got, I just went down to the 7-Eleven and got, got healed. or I got my, my thing, right? It's hard to believe because we, we don't have this sort of same thing, right? <clears throat> but, but, but there's a, a sort of humility here. There, and it's in the kingdom. And so this humility is what we have a really hard time with. Our culture is so angry. And so proud in so many different directions. The Democrats are proud of the Democrats. The Republicans are proud of the Republicans, and everything in between. And arrogance and all of it, just rife. We're proud over our stance in the nations and what we have. Oh, it's just. And I think honestly, we're just probably really having a hard time, even with our own lives, of just being in this humble space. If you look at the Beatitudes, look who Jesus says is blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. People aren't doing well. People are depressed, discouraged, want to give up. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Peacemakers. Wow. Is there such a thing in our culture anymore? Peacemakers. Even we as believers don't want to make peace. Especially on the political level. Notice that? No. We've become weaponized, all of us, right? I get as mad at these uh, cultures, anyone, but still there must be some room, some place, some role we play in bringing peace. They'll be called children of God. Is it peacemakers because there's no conflict? No, the very nature of peacemaker is there's a whole horrible conflict, and somehow we've got to make peace, right? So there's some way, somehow, that we have an anointing on us to cause this to happen, right? And if we do, we'll be called children of God. It doesn't mean compromising on any of our our um, beliefs. I think some of them are right from the Scripture. You know, there's things I don't want to see in our culture either, but there's something about this ability we must be missing. There must be something that we have an anointing for, something that comes deep inside, something even supernatural beyond us. I think all of us would agree to see Allegro out or cancer healed. It would take a supernatural act. Perhaps it's going to take a supernatural act, authority, power, grace, to be peacemakers. Maybe it's beyond us. Maybe it's something we have to rely on, just like we would rely on healing or rely on somebody to be saved, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This doesn't sound real good. This all seems like weak. It sounds like this, this part. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say <clears throat> all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. This is an upside-down kingdom. This is where we see the miraculous power of God. This is where we see it in these places where we're persecuted, in these places. I don't know if many of us signed up for that. Many of us signed up for the latest prophet on television, but I'm not sure many of us signed up for persecution because of the kingdom or all of this. But this is where God's heaven lives. That's why he puts the word blessed. Blessed, right? So we're recognizing God's unmerited favor, but we're going to find out that he dwells in some very strange places, right? And maybe the weak places, sometimes I wonder if we're just not weak enough for the world. What I mean by that is uh, there's something about us in the Lord, something, faith, something that I think we have in us that's supernatural, and we should not be afraid to use it. At the same time, uh, we have to identify somehow with the brokenness of our world, right? And so there we find ourselves. 1 Corinthians one26 26 26-31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. If you have to remember the early church, they were the poorest of the poor, right? And God purposely made it that way. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And of course in our area when we talk about righteousness, godliness in our schools, teaching our kids the right things, teach about no abortion, these sort of things, they feel like completely foolishness, but we should be okay with that. They're going to think it's shame or foolish, but we don't. And so we have to choose, okay, it's okay with us if we dwell in these lowly places. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It's because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us Wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, we exchange our weakness for his strength. That's how the kingdom set up. Naaman the Syrian would have paid any price for his healing. But God was after the deeper need Naaman didn't know he had, a revelation of the true God of all the earth. He would have done the normal thing, but he was God did something wonderful. He didn't know that he actually needed the revelation from God. He didn't know what he really needed, right? God wanted to show, uh, name an unmerited favor, but Gehazi distorted it and was severely disciplined. Did you get that? The Gehazi guy was completely—he was severely disciplined, right, by by his master for doing what he did. If you read in. 2nd Kings chapter five. You know he he goes up and he he offers him some money. He says you know he wants he said this guy got left off too early. This is king. He has all this money in the world. We did this miracle for him. So let's get some money for it, right? How how opposite the kingdom is for us. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running down toward him, he got him down from the chair to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Everything's all right. Gehazi answered. My master sent me, to say two young, sent me to say two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give me a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them the two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came uh, to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in his house. He, went, he sent the men away and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money to accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. So, God wanted to reveal unmerited favor. And this guy wanted to do that, but also get something out of it. And it was loathsome to God. So, we have to understand how God works, how he deals with things, what he thinks of things. He likes to give things away for free, he likes to be generous. God loves to reveal himself as the one who gives unmerited favor. Grace is the motive for all of our service matter of fact, as we read uh, Matthew 10, uh, 5 to 15, the tail end of Matthew 10, uh, 5 15, is freely you received, freely give. Freely you received, freely give. The question is, what do we receive? It's actually surprising. He calls to his disciples and he gives them power to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So when's the last time you gave away cleansing from an impure spirit? I prayed for sickness to go away. He gave them authority. He names these guys and he sends them out with these instructions. He says, listen, don't go among the Gentiles or any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. That's what we freely received. That's what we do. So when we try to do it, it doesn't always work like we think or we hope. Sometimes sometimes the fuse has a longer fuse. We pray for him and it takes a long time. But this is our job description. This is what we do. God delivers it. If he doesn't deliver it at the time we want or whatever, that's still our job. We've received this inheritance. The disciples received it. We've received it. So we freely do it. Freely meaning we don't charge money for it, obviously, but also... We're more than open, ready at any moment's t- time to be the answer to somebody else's problem. If all we can do is pray, all we can do is pray. If all we can do is pray, I'll tell you what, the prayer of a righteous person accomplishes a lot. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. We just have to give away what we've been freely given, and then if we've been given some finance or other things or abundance, we can give away that too which is all part of our story, right? But he's going the opposite direction. Don't you get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts? No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals for staff or the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your fa- feet. Truly, I tell you, you'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Interesting. Isn't it hard to kind of put your mind around it in a modern setting? Blessed is he that goes in the name of the Lord. We just got to make sure that we have the faith and the courage to release the goods, even if it makes us look silly, even if it doesn't seem right, even if we feel weak, right? It's so important. God provides for us by an exchange of our weakness for his strength. It's meant to feel silly. It's meant to feel weak. It's meant for you to to be small and still act on it anyway. That's the whole deal. You're small, he's big, so we don't get confused. (laughs) But we're packing. (laughs) Lessons of direct encounters with God, Rome number two. First of all, receiving the Holy Spirit, a loving God and his power. So his early disciples says, you know, uh, you guys need to wait, because I'm going to release some power on you, right? So many of us know that story, in Acts chapter 2, the story of Pentecost. And then as the power came, they're speaking these languages, and people are wondering, what in the world's going on? And Peter says, I'm sure glad you asked, right? But in that power, there's something else. And um, it's love. And uh, so I think that all of us would love to be equipped, and we are equipped to pray for the sick and Understand that whole thing. It's such a blast when we lead someone to the Lord. But just if we could say this, we love, why? Because he what? First loved us. So what about love? So I never really realized till I hit the vineyard and then hit Eddie Peorock and then after that John Wimber and a few other things happened to me. I didn't understand that actually in the vineyard wasn't just power. They were known for that. But the deeper thing was mercy and compassion. And the mercy and compassion in the vineyard was, was on purpose. And the way they did things was on purpose. They didn't want to get in the way of the power. They are okay with the weakness. So they didn't have to give God any hamburger helper. That's why they had all kinds of people to pray for the sick, not just one great holy person, right, or one healing evangelist. As a matter of fact, the vineyard tradition has been sort of shied away from one person's shows. Everybody plays because that's where the anointing is. It's in all of us, right? And so we love because he first loved us. All of us can receive and be loved, right? As with Naaman, God sets the terms of how he comes to us. Being vulnerable and open with your problems. He says to me, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. So this needs to be a place where anybody can come to God at any given moment, right, and receive. And once we receive something, we have treasure that we actually can then give away, right? And I I, I love that whole arrangement. Take my yoke upon upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. John used to always say the meat's in the street, (laughs) right? The important things he's trying to say is out there, out with us, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us as we go. Not just in a meeting, but in our everyday life, right? And not just from the pulpit, from, from people who are equipped to pray for one another. That's where the real thing is, right? That's where the real life is. And there's a certain unmerited supernaturalness to it, Right? And there's just so many things like this that I, I've discovered and, and I just want to make sure that we foster in our environment here because what we foster in our environment is really, really important. What we value in our environment is really, really important because there are environmental things that actually uh, um, are conducive to the Spirit of God and then there's things that are just show and really aren't conducive, right? They may look, make us look good, but the power evaporates. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your ways. So that gives us a hint that we really are beholding to God for everything. Hunger and humility will carry you to God every time. And I just want to say this. uh, uh, I want to read James 4 and maybe give you a little testimony. I I just think that um, this hunger and humility thing is so critical for us to move in supernatural things? Or do you think Scripture says without reason that Jesus, James 4, 5, longs for the spirit, he has caused to dwell us, but he gives us more grace. That's why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So, if these are true, this favor and all these things that I'm talking about, then it seems like to me that these things are something we should sort of put at the top of our list and things that we should uh, put at the top of what we want to be like, right? If we really want to see uh, God move amongst us, right? <clears throat> Dipping seven times symbolizes a willingness to soak in the Spirit's refreshing presence and power, right? And and if we look at Ephesians 5.18, where it commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a continuous thing. It's, it's like tending a fire. But I want to go back to hunger and humility a little bit for a moment to have a direct encounter with God. I just... I can remember things in my life that have happened uh, and uh, up into including the vineyard into this very day. And so I realized that these weak things are the things that uh, are the most treasure to me, where the supernatural encountered me in my weakness. And I, I remember as a kid, uh, going, you know, uh, they, I was in an evangelical Presbyterian church, and, and there was a time when we know we all had to be baptized, and I was getting a little older. I was getting a little nervous about it, and I didn't know how... But I was honestly just too embarrassed to go in front of everybody to get baptized or to have that happen. So I never went because I was too embarrassed, right? So finally I did it. Finally I did it. I was shaking up there, a little 12-year-old kid shaking up there, you know. Got baptized and everything. But I remember, it's so funny, uh, I got baptized, and it was the most amazing event. Here I am, just embarrassed that I put it off and put it off just because I did. I was too shy to be in front of people. Obviously, I lost some of that somewhere along the way. but So I was too shy. And, and, and I tell you what, when I got baptized, I felt like I would never sin again. And I realized that just my courage to go up there and get that baptism done made all the difference in the world. Just to declare in front of everybody that I was going to follow Jesus. And from that moment, I'll never forget, and that whole, I was so surprised because I thought, well, what's it going to do anyway? I'm just going to get embarrassed up there and they'd just get wet a little bit. That's what I thought, right? And I had even got into the dunking controversy in our church at that time. It must have took, because they just sprinkled me a little bit, right? I didn't even get dunked. I got dunked the other way just a while later, just in case, right? But anyway, so, but I, I remember the weakness of the whole thing. I'm trembling standing there. And then after it, they prayed for me, the sense of God I felt, which never left me from that moment forward. There was this exchange. You would think that if you would have that happen to you and you would feel God everywhere and everything, that you'd have to do something special for that, right? That you have to be something unique, right? Like the guy assumed, Naaman assumed, you know, and, and even Gehazi assumes, hey, this guy got off light, you know, and uh, I think I'll probably have to pay a lot of money for this sorcerer to do this sort of thing. The kingdom's just the opposite—not every special people, but all the people. The kingdom's just the opposite, and weakness is where you find your power, find grace. I remember this time when uh, I've told you the story in my life in the Spirit class. I tell my story a lot, just so many of you will know. And but it's a story of of weakness turned into supernatural favor. So I end up in this conference, like many of you have heard me talk about. It. I was a teenager. I was six, 17, 16 years old. Didn't want to be there, but just sort of went with a bunch of youth and got there. And, and it was the most boring, horrible thing I've ever thought about. You know, it was worse than I, my worst nightmare because I couldn't go outside and play hooky. Goes in downtown Memphis, Tennessee, and there's crime everywhere, and you couldn't even go outside the hotel and mess around, right? So I ended up at these meetings, falling asleep through all of them until somebody said, hey, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit meeting. You know, I looked on the, the thing. It's our miracles for today. And there was like, they had this special seminar off the side and only 10 people in a conference of 2,000 people went to that. But me, I went, right? And I was just sitting there. I didn't know nothing about nothing. And the more they talked about the supernatural and things I'd read in my scripture, I think, yeah, that's what I've been wondering. Yeah, what does that mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. And when they came and finally one thing led to another, And I got this simple little prayer language. They prayed over me, and I started speaking in tongues. And I remember thinking, wow, is that all there is? You know, because I was speaking this language. And then I thought, that ain't the right language. So I went upstairs and looked in the mirror, and I'm watching my mouth going, and I'm speaking in tongues. Is is that Portuguese? I wonder what that language is. Well, I don't understand. I can do it, or I can cut it off. I thought it would just come over me. You know, I just thought the Spirit would just come over me and I would like be not in my right mind anymore you know and then I would float in a cloud and then I would speak in this language and then maybe someone might interpret it and then maybe I would know that it was God after all and uh, so when I'm sitting in the room about to receive I'm sitting you know (laughs) that's so funny like 15 Presbyterians out of 2,000 showed up and then 8 of them promptly left the room there's 7 of us right but all I had uh, going for me was my hunger I wanted to know They don't talk about this in my church. This is what I want to know. You told me to read my Bible, and every time I read my Bible, I read about these crazy things, and it never happens, you know. I never see nothing around here, you know. So I'm thinking to myself, that's why I was like that far from leaving the church, you know. Then you're telling me this happens, you know. All right. So I sat there, you know, and most of you know my story, and eventually I spoke in tongues. And it was the craziest thing, you know. And I knew It was real. And I was speaking, and then I could stop and start, and I thought it just possessed me maybe, you know? No, it was a sort of weird combination. I speak out, but then the Lord gives the words. I speak out, and I began to change. And that summer, I prayed through my Bi- I went through my Bible. In two months, I read from beginning to the end. I couldn't even read three sentences without falling asleep. The supernatural power of God came in through that little portal where I was just sitting as a Presbyterian kid and just speaking in tongues, right? Weakness and strength. And what birthed me into the vineyard was I liked everything that was going on here. I just didn't think they had enough missions in them. I couldn't understand the place because all it was was one big pile of weakness to me. I'm seeing homosexuals and this and that come to the altar calls, and I'm thinking, oh, God, do we have to do that in public? This is like, whoa. Could there actually be that many sexually deviant people in this church? Then I thought, this church is really strange. I mean, maybe... Wow, there's a lot of sinners here. I'm thinking, wow, they really need help. You know, this is re- this is one of the most broken, crazy, messed up places I've ever been. You know, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, surely, sure, no, no, he's not going to call for that. He'd call the most crazy things. People come to the front for you. I mean, I would never want to tell anybody. You know, they're just walking, walking up there. Yeah, I had a horrible time with pornography this week. You know, and all this stuff. You know, and <laughs> and he's thinking, I'm looking at the people, and I would watch the Spirit rest on them. I'm just whoa, wow, that's amazing. And then I thought, well, what's this thing about? Like your hands shake and everything. Put them up or put them down, but don't let them shake. You know, I had every hang up you could imagine about this physical thing. Like I'm watching these people and what was the thing of the story was they were weak, broken, messed up people. And I just figured this is California people because I had never lived in California. So maybe all the churches are like this. You know, come to find out, nope, just that crazy vineyard down there. They must have got every crazy person between Anaheim and wherever. I mean, they, and then I thought, I didn't know this many people, crazy people lived around Anaheim. I thought this was Disneyland. They'd be like, wow. Strength and weakness. Thousands of people came, thousands and thousands. And then there came the time where God wanted me to join these people. And I didn't want to join these people. And one of the things that bothered me the most, I'm just talking about strength and weakness, you have to understand, and for me, maybe some of you are having the same problem with our church. I don't know. I'm sure you are. Because we are really crazy. I mean, we're nice. On Sunday morning, we generally are dressed in our right mind, but for the most part, our people are nuts. Monday night, you see more of it. Other times... Conferences, you really seen more of it, and so we just are, but not nuts to be nuts. That's important. Not even nuts and proud of it kind of thing. It's the weakness. It's the place where the spirit of God comes, and and so um, I had to figure out whether I want to join. And so one of the things I couldn't—I mean, I'm, you have to understand—I'm trying to tell you my weakness. I, I I just didn't walk into the things that we walk in, and. I remember, uh, so I go, so my friend Martin and I, uh, he wanted me to go to an Angels baseball game. He's Swiss and he'd never seen a an Angels baseball game. And he didn't to see a baseball game. He just wanted to see it. And, of course, I love baseball, so I have a hot dog. But it happened to be on the night where they were going to have the newcomer's class at Eddie Piorik's house. And I felt something deep inside of me tell me, you've got to go to that. And I thought, no, no, no got to go to the Angels game. No, 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 no. We're going to the Angels game. No, no, no. Martin's never been to a baseball game. And I just kept saying, you know, i got to go. Martin said, Martin did everything he could, by the way, to talk me out of it. I'm glad he didn't. He tried everything, every manipulative thing he could think of, but it didn't work. So finally, I'm at Eddie's class. And then they, okay, so... Here we do it. They do the normal thing. Teaching was great and everything. Then they all stand up. And then they're holding their hands up. And then this little thing starts happening with their hands. Drive me nuts. Why? Put your hands up, put them down, but don't let them shake like this. I don't like why you do that, you know, like this. And they tremble, you know, and then one falling over there. And I'm going, oh, no. Here we go again. Nuts old people in here, too, right? Oh, my gosh. It's everywhere. Everywhere you go. Even in a house, like everybody can see, they're all doing this uh, same stuff. And the Spirit, he just said, come Holy Spirit. And the people, you know, bloom, bloom, you know, that. And I'm standing there, and so a particularly nice worship song came while I'm suffering, and I put my hands up, then my hands began to shake. And I went, oh. you know. But then I thought, you know, when I put my hand up like that, it was kind of neat. I kind of felt the presence of God, kind of like when I speak a tongue. So I put him up again. Oh, no, 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 no. And I'm literally having this battle in the back of the room. There's only 30 people in the room, and I'm like going all this. Thing. And I'm thinking of that. Why am I having this? This is stupid. What am I doing here? i got to go to the baseball game. I can't believe I'm here. Going through all this stuff. So then I hold my hands up again. right? And they shake. And I thought, I'll forget it. Let them shake. So they started shaking. All of a sudden, when I let that happen, that one little thing, that one little place of weakness, I just let it go. God just came all over me. Boom! I fell over the coffee. No, I fell over the coffee table and into the couch. Not even on it. I was stuck. My back was bowed. I was there for who knows how long. I was there for the, for two hours, and Eddie all the time was going, Oh, come, Holy Spirit. Oh, that's cool, God. And I'm thinking, I'm out of my mind. I'm out of my mind. What is going on here? I don't understand. My mind's over here. My spirit's over here. But in the weakness of that embarrassed, horrible moment, it was the most glorious thing. I even saw things prophetic. I began to see things about my future, and I realized, oh, no. And then not long after that, I ended up literally eating lunch with John Weber, most of you know this story, and a spirit fell on me while I was eating and began to fall on my friend across the table, Martin. And we ended up literally under his table. Nobody prayed, nobody did anything. And then John was so clump, he'd, he'd peek underneath the table every once in a while, keep eating, keep watching down there. We're all shaking and trembling. I'm weeping, I'm crying, shaking. I'm thinking... Oh, my gosh, I've lost my mind. I'm out of it. And then I'm thinking, but this feels so good. Oh, well, no, I don't know. what the, I'm I'm schizophrenic. Finally, I just get, I'll forget it. Oh, God, whatever you want. I'll, do, I'll sign up with these people. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then John walks around the table. I didn't say it out loud. And he walks over and says, Lord, I received these two as my sons. That was it. And from then on, we were in the vineyard. Okay, so the thing is, those little weak things that happened there are everything And the weakness, that little caving in, that little weakness, it changed the entire trajectory of my life, right? And so this thing that happens to this guy, you know, he dipping seven times symbolizes a willingness to soak in the Spirit's refreshing presence and power. You know, he he dipped in there and and something happened, you know, and he became filled with the Spirit and, and there was a direct encounter with God, right? So Roman number three, God solves our problems and brings us into deeper relationship with him at the same time. God is always better than we think. And so, interesting thing is, I love this part of the story here, this 2 Kings thing, all right? Because here's the thing in these transformations from our weakness to God's strength, right? This is what happens. 2 Kings 5 15 to 19. The Naaman, Naaman and his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. Right. He made a transition there, right? The story of Naaman is the opening act of God revealing himself to Syria and helping Israel. Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, began to know the only true God. And the raids on Israel stopped because of God's miraculous intervention. So you read here, and verse 6, 8 to 23, again, Elisha traps these Arameans. They come in to, you know, to think they're going to just you know, kind of create some problems, and Elijah blinds them all. <laughs> right? and, and the king says, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? No, don't kill them, he answered. Would you kill those who you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink, and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. So between the general army, who got whacked by the Holy Spirit, and these guys getting blinded when they snuck into the camp a little bit, that was the end of the problem, right? The story of Naaman is the opening act of God revealing himself to Syria and helping Israel. Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, began to know the only true God, and the raids on Israel stopped because of God's miraculous intervention. Wow. Our pain makes us vulnerable to God, and God makes himself vulnerable to us. So your weakness, your pain, your sorrows, you're closer to God than you think. We always want to be strong and find God. The deeper question for all who walk with God is whether... We are only connected to God because of his provision. God is continually healing our hearts in this matter. And so we look at various passages of scripture, and I'll finish on these. that are very, very important, I think. Matthew 6, 25 to 37. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about what your body or what you'll wear, about your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can you, by, any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? God's more than enough. Verses 31 to 34. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. Psalms 32, 6 to 11. I'll just read this passage here. will draw this to a close here pretty quick. Psalm 32. Therefore, let us... Let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble, and surround me with songs of deliverance. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule who have no understanding, but must be controlled by bed and bridle, they are not come to you. Many are the words of the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright. And heart. So the thing is, here's the deal, and it's just gonna. I'm gonna close with this. Um, just to try to explain our culture a little bit. I think that we just need to learn how to um, to live in this uh, weakness, this um, this unmerited supernatural favor thing. It's really, really important. And so, like in that, then we find that. Actually, the, what we are together is much stronger than who we are with a star right up here. Right? So all of us together are more important than one person. And so all of us can minister. All of us can deliver this thing. And so the sooner we get to the place where all of us believe that we might have something to offer to someone and that we're actually important in the community where we live and in the church we live, then you're going to see heaven on earth. If it just remains in the hands of a few people who are the anointed ones and they're all running around to meetings to try to go find the anointed one and then get provision actually it's right here confess your sins to one another pray for one another and you may be healed it's the one another thing is where all the power is the power is not from the front it's out there right it's out where we all live it's in that humble space and I just think that uh uh this thing with dipping in the water, right? What a humble thing. He goes, you know, I've ever seen the Jordan River. It's a nasty place sometimes, very muddy. No wonder he didn't want to dip in it. (laughs) He took a look at that thing. Man, i got better rivers to dip in than this thing, right? Right? Some of you ever seen the Jordan River. Sometimes it's nice, but a lot of times it's really muddy and nasty, right? So the thing is, uh, he goes and you think, okay, in our mindset, in the way we see miracles and things, there's got to be someone up there particularly anointed, preferably on TV, you know, (laughs) this handheld just right, you know, and making the command, right? And then people get healed and delivered. And then we spend a lot of time chasing these people online, all around, going to this meeting, that place. The only problem with that is if you forgot who you are as the body of Christ, that, that you're special, that you're unique, they just need to go dip in the water. That seemed like a really impossible thing. Why wouldn't the guy stand there and wave? It's ah go washing the river. Same thing with us. We have power as individuals to pray for one another. We need to learn to be okay with the water, the muddy water. It's in weakness that God becomes strong. It's in the precisely because you don't want to witness that person or because you feel so inadequate to pray that you should. Because God can trust you. God gives grace to the humble. It's just that when we get in this Showtime thing, it's a problem. Unfortunately, with our media, that's one thing I haven't liked about the media too much. It just becomes more and more exaggerated. People go from place to place, trying to find a miracle, trying to find a word, place to place, place to place, running all over the place, right? But they miss the significance of who they are in God and what... They are in their humility and their desperation. The place where they are in their desperation is ideal. If you're desperate and you're looking for God and you're humble, you're ideal. God gives grace to the humble. It's exactly the opposite. And then like having people to pray, he says if we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, we'll be healed. So what the action is where we are individually, just praying for another, ordinary people, listening to each other talk and bearing each other's burdens. That's where all the power is. That's where all the power is. So we have to realize that. It's liberating, isn't it? I have not made any progress in my spiritual life out of one proud place. Every place I've made any progress has been in the weakest, humblest, craziest places, That places I didn't expect. So I begin to think, you know, I guess Washington and the Jordan is like a normal deal. That's probably the normal thing. The abnormal thing is this Hollywood, other stuff, Right? It takes away from the significance of the body of Christ, the power of the ordinary individual to cause something to happen. It, it steals from us. You know, when we project too much on people and one person. I'm, I love to go to the next prophetic meeting, the next person, an anointed person. I love to hear the stories and stuff. But I found out that the action is really out there. It's with us. As John used to say, the meat's in the street. It's where we are. If you want to know what the real meat of the kingdom is, us. The kingdom of God. Together, all of us sharing with our neighbor, being, giving an encouraging word, scared to death to say something or pray for someone, but taking that step out there and doing the next thing. It's like washing in the river. Gosh, you could think of so many different ways and better ways to do this. we got to have the speaker. We've the to the anointed guy. But you can only have the anointed guy so many times. And how many hours are you spent away from the anointed guy in your household, in your family, in your dealing with people, witnessing to people, with people on your doorstep, relatives and friends that need provision, Oh, my. God gives grace to the humble. Lord, I just want to ask you in this season that you would give us grace, that you would just help us to recognize your unmerited supernatural favor on any of us that know Jesus Christ. How glorious it is. Let's all stand. So, one thing I haven't figured out yet is the, television thing and the recording and all that because of COVID and what we're doing now and these speakers up there, they still got me a little confused. Because uh, honestly, I like it that you can watch on television at home and everything, but if it keeps you from these weak people that are packing (laughs) the very power of God in their weakness, these people that are just ordinary believers that could lay hands on you And so you get, well, then I think we have something that's off a little bit, right? There's only a few super-duper people around that I can tell, right? And a lot of them are on television. So what are you going to do in the meantime? What we're going to do is we're going to learn to be the humble body of Christ. We're going to learn to serve one another. We're going to learn to wash in the Jordan, right? Who knows what God could leave behind even this very day with ordinary people? if you understand the principle of humility and God-given grace to the humble and the way the body of Christ is supposed to work, then you'll be glad to be prayed for by anybody because it doesn't take anybody special other than they need to know Jesus <laughs> and to have the faith to stand up and pray for you today. Right? If we're, our entire environment is permeated with that, then we also will become powerful in our neighborhoods, stores, unashamed to witness, to share. Oh, that's Peggy. She's weird, kind of off a little bit. She does this stuff. She's with, She has an anointing. Well, I knew Peggy before she was Peggy the Anointed, right? Or Alvin the Anointed. <laughs> She's pretty ordinary. Had a few problems, I remember, right? You guys? <laughs> had a few st- little stuff we had to work through, right? Am I right? Right. Well, now you take that stuff that you got and now you apply it to other people. That's the whole thing. Somewhere you've got to grow up. You get healed, then you go become a healer. You get something, and then you become somebody that can dispense to others, right? All right. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to have our ministry team come up. One thing i got to say is I'm having a little struggle with this because of the logistics of our building. The reason why we've had ministry teams all these years is for the very fact that I've been talking about. God's grace is all of us we'll miss a whole bunch of blessing if we don't learn how to facilitate and receive from ordinary people and become an ordinary person that gives something away that's supernatural right the problem with the cameras and the way the scene is it makes it sort of awkward for me I'm just now getting on the other side of it I read this passage the other day about going and bathing in the river and it hit me I realized oh my gosh he was thinking the normal thing: the anointed man of God is going to wave over him, and he's going to, then he's going to give him some money. Transaction complete, a business transaction. But God had more for him. Hey, there's the God of Israel, you need to can deal with. And so when he got back, he realized. He said, "Please forgive me. Uh, I realize now it's not just about an anointed man. It's uh, you're not just like a sorcerer or something. God's the God of the whole earth. So when I have to go with my 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 my." my king in that that temple, would you please forgive me Uh, because there's only one God and he isn't where we are. He's here, right? (laughs) Right? You didn't even charge me for this. God lives here. That's how he knew. Wow. So as far as I know, none of these people are going to charge you anything for praying for you, right? If they are, tell me. All right? So it's all for free. You guys pray with me a little bit, because I may have to take out a row or two or do some adjustments, because I got hit so hard, I realized the power of Jesus is in us, all of us, that we carry together something usual. In our humility, there's strength, just like you see out there, with the humility and the kind of person, so we can see it in here. Same thing. We just have to make space for it. The video thing freaks me out a little bit, because it doesn't seem as real to me. I'm glad for people being able to see who are and stuff, but and that's good, I think. But for us, all this action and activity and supernatural activity, I tell you, I want God to heal. I want God to deliver. I, we have to get into a place where we can address our culture, heal the sick, raise it, heal the mentally ill, heal the physically ill in every way, shape, or form. We have to be card-carrying, packing believers, full of vigor, full of life. That's who we, we're made to be. We're that muddy river out there that they jump into find salvation and healing. That's us. That's who we are, right? So, any of you that are sick or ill or just need prayer, come up here in the front real quick. Just come on up. And I'm going to close this in prayer. May the Lord just bless you. I have some words. Some of you is especially in pain in your left leg, uh, down in through your knee, down in your ankle. You might want to make sure you come up. Especially if someone else is having trouble with a son. I believe his name might be uh, Benjamin. Uh, if you have a son, uh, maybe it's not named Benjamin, but having severe problems, I encourage you to come up today. If there's someone here that has somebody that's got, uh, uh, you've had, a, it's like you twisted your left ankle and you haven't got over it for months and now, maybe years. Uh, I think healing might be here for you today. If there's anyone here that's struggling with a lost loved one, Uh, And it's maybe about your son or your daughter and you really want to come back to the Lord. I think if you'll pray today, you're going to see some amazing things happen. You might want to come up and pray that with somebody, all right? And if there's anybody that's got constant pain in their body and it's been that way for maybe weeks and maybe even months, make sure you come up today. I think God's got something for you, all right? And uh, so come up and receive prayer if you like and uh, maybe I'll make my way out. If anybody wants some prayer, if you need to go, feel, Lord, I pray as we go today, you would just make us Powerful like we are, help us to realize how powerful we really are. Lord, as people jump in the, the muddy river today, I pray there be amazing manifestations of power and grace. Thank you for giving grace to the weak. Amen.